the finale of Loki has arrived on Disney Plus, so let's talk about it. Hey everyone, welcome back to another spoiler review here on Movie Morning, and today I'm going to be breaking down at last the finale for Marvel Studios' Loki, entitled For All Time, Always. So with that said, I'm not going to waste any more time, I'm sure you guys know who I am if you've been checking out this Loki review series, so getting straight into it, my general thoughts on the episode are that... Was this my favorite episode we've gotten from Phase 4 Disney plus Marvel so far? No. Was it even my favorite episode of the series? Absolutely not. But was it an episode that satisfied me and gave me what I wanted going into the future and set up things that I'm interested in? Absolutely. And that's really the main thing that I took away from this. It wasn't the best episode of TV I've ever seen. Not one of my favorite episodes of comic book television I've ever seen. But it's set up so much that I'm so excited for. And I think that it just satisfied me after watching six episodes or like five hours of this show that I think we got, including this. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. And I just don't care about what I thought of the episode this time because this episode feels so much bigger than just itself. And I think you got what I mean once you see the episode. So that's all you needed for coming out of this review, whether I like the episode. There you go. I liked it wasn't fantastic, but I did I did really enjoy watching. I liked a lot of what's set up here and going into the forwards. And it absolutely caps off this fantastic show we've had of Loki very, very well. Not the best episode, but still a really great episode of this show. With that said, let's get into my spoiler review. So kicking right off where the episode started, we actually start off with the Marvel Studios logo with the with a rendition of it where it uses the music at the end of Avengers Endgame where we have Peggy Carter and Steve Rogers dancing. I think the main reason they picked that one is because, obviously, full spoiler warning now if you haven't seen the episode, but this episode deals a lot with multiversal travel, alter, different timelines, so I guess it was kind of a hint at that by using, you know, like a, the, a, the branch timeline set up when Steve Rogers went in the past, unless they explain here that that was supposed to happen, so it didn't actually create a branch timeline, and it genuinely affected the future, but, you know, it wasn't really a Nexus event because the real Steve Rogers was still sleeping. And he was living, you know, like a like completely like quiet life. I don't know. I don't really know what they were fully implying by this opening scene. But I think it set the mood for the episode really well. And I love that, that we had like a lot of voices of the MCU go over the, um, the, the intro as it was happening. It was kind of a different take on it. Not the usual classic music that was composed by Michael Giacchino. So I liked that. But basically the episode starts off. Loki and so Well, after actually we have a bit of a beginning where we have like them going through, like, the Big Bang and showing, you know, like, the sacred timeline, just people's explanation of it, as well as, like, talk about peace and free will voiceovers from real people in our world. I, I saw one which was Nelson Mandela, I believe, where I saw it from the subtitles. I don't know if I would have been able to tell any of them besides that. But I feel like there was also um, Neil Armstrong, who was one of the people who, who like, one of their lines was, one of, one of the things they've said before was voiceover. So that was cool. But then we cut to... Loki and Sylvie, who we get confirmed that they arrive at the Citadel at the end of time. So it's basically a castle, castle, but I guess it's just called the Citadel, which I'll go with at the end of time. So this is the person that's made it through everything, same as they have and are here. And I guess have set up the TVA as we're set up to believe. They walk in, then Miss Minutes just gives me a jump scare, just pops up out of nowhere. So instantly I'm like, okay, so is Miss Minutes the main antagonist? Is she the one who set up the entire TVA? There's even a sequence a bit after that, that kind of shows that she had a big, much bigger part in this one than we thought. But I guess she's the only 
I don't want to, I'll, I'll say character that actually had her finger on what was going on behind everything we knew about the TVA. And I think we all kind of assumed that from last week's episode. Now she's trying to protect Renslayer and not let Sylvie, you know, you know, like be able to find where everyone, where, you know, the timekeepers originated. So I guess we kind of had a hint at that. But this episode definitely fully confirmed that she does, I guess, have a semi, have a role to play. And she's the one who actually is in the loop on everything. And she mentions the he who remains, which is the person at the end of time who's made it through everything like Loki and Sylvie have. And I guess he's the controller of everything. And he, and she mentioned, Miss Minutes does, that, that they've actually been given like a deal where both Loki and Sylvie, if they left at that point, would have been placed back into the sacred timeline. And, you know, they even mention how, you know, you can get an Infinity Gauntlet, you can kill Thanos and all that. It's all brought up. I don't remember if this was at this point in the episode or at the later in the episode where we get a reveal on who it is and them talking. But all those options are what if. And it almost reminded me of what if, which I'll talk about in just a second, which there's a very interesting thing that comes out, comes out of this that I feel like might tie to what if, or I feel like it's kind of Marvel poking, poking, like, like poking the audiences and just like teasing us with it. Maybe I'm not really sure, but there's something that comes up that I do want to mention, but it's very later into the episode. And yeah, I'm assuming you all watched the episode anyway. So I don't know why I'm keeping it a secret, but we'll, we'll get there. So tries to get in the deal, but they obviously don't agree. And they just walk through, they open the doors and this minutes just disappears. So before we continue talking about this side of the story, I do want to cut to talking about um, Mobius and what they're doing at the TVA. So let's talk about that first. So getting into talking about Mobius and kind of what he's doing at the TVA. So we're going to talk about like most of what happens here, but obviously the ending does a lot. So we have to come back to this anyways. But um, but pretty much what we get out of this as of this part is basically that uh, Miss Minutes arrives and she she doesn't give Renslayer the files that she was looking for, but rather something else that he, who I guess is the he who remains, um, thinks that will be more helpful to Renslayer, which I guess is why the TVA is important. I guess is what they were implying. And that was kind of the end of that scene. But then later, Mobius comes in, confronts Renslayer, and then basically they have a bit of a discussion about, you know, how, you know, what's happening and how uh, Renslayer is just going to get rid of him again. But then Mobius kind of hints at the fact that Everyone's been told the truth about you and what's been going on with the TVA. Because then we see Hunter B-15 with another, another, another Hunter, which I believe was U-92, who they arrive at this... Um, they arrive at this school of sorts, and it's confirmed later that, yes, that is, in fact, a... Um, that is, in fact, the school, like, just in a couple seconds. So they arrive there, I guess... Hunter U95, or U92, U95, I think it was U95, actually, was chasing B15. And I think that she, and I think that B15 tells them that, that, so basically, the principal of the school shows up, which I guess is Judge Renslayer. So U95 or U92 is very confused about this. And she pretty much basically says that I have a lot to tell you. So that's implying that she told him, and I guess almost everyone at the TVA, the backstory behind everything. So then one Renslayer is trying to call one of her agents, or one of the Minutemen, I guess they're called, to take care of Mobius when he walks into her office. No one comes, because I guess they're being enlightened, the truth behind the TVA, which is great. And I love that we got to that pretty quickly. <clears throat> but this, this sequence of the, of the um, plot of this ends by Renslayer pretty much 
trying to fight. Mobius is trying to prune Renslayer and get rid of her. But then Mobius talks about how, you know, this free will of the people, we can't just take it away anymore because we know the true backstory behind everything. And then Renslayer opens a portal using her temp bat and, and Mobius pretty much says, where are you going? And she just says, to search for free will or whatever, I think was her line. So that's implying that she is, I guess, going to have a redemption in the next season, which I'll discuss later. So I guess going forward, if she ever pops up again, which I'm not even sure she will, she'll have a bit more of a redemption arc, which is great. I love that they're doing that because I don't think they fully fleshed her out as a villain enough, considering they showed a lot of scenes between her and, her and Mobius, despite how evil her intentions might have been at that time, showing that they were really friends. And this scene shows that what Mobius said really had an impact on her. So she did indeed decide to, you know, go back and try to right her wrongs and see what's really going on. So that's kind of the end of that section of the episode. But obviously we return to the TVA later, but that's for something completely different that fully gets revealed. But let's not, you know, um, let's not beat around the uh, the bush anymore because we've been um, pretty much beating around it for a couple of minutes now. But the elevator door opens for when Loki and Sylvie are walking through the Citadel. The elevator door opens where pretty much we're finally going to see. It opens and we see Jonathan Majors. So obviously, that's obviously the actor's name. But we had a feeling that Mr. Kang the Conqueror would have been the was the man behind the TVA. I actually talked about this last week and how it related to Elias and all that. But they take a very different approach to what I was I was expecting in terms of the backstory, which I'll get into. But the elevator door opens, we see Jonathan Majors, and I just had a massive smile on my face because I really wanted to see him in this show. And he plays a very different version of Kang than I was expecting in this episode. They actually never name drop Kang. In fact, he even says, like, I have many names and yeah and one of them was actually the conqueror so i guess i kind of confirmed it the thing is i actually kind of wish looking back that kevin feige never revealed the casting for kang because if he hadn't done that if we saw this guy just we just saw jonathan majors we'd be like okay we don't know who that is but and then later in the episode it would have been revealed that, that was kang and that would have been a much bigger deal like could you imagine if we got that and then he just named the name dropped the Conqueror, and everyone on the internet would have lost their minds because we just didn't know that. It might have been leaked, but it would have been confirmed through this episode. But we already knew he was playing Kang, and weirdly, he's showing up in Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania, which I guess, in terms of the quantum realm and how the time works differently down there, has some relation to the show very loosely. I feel like other projects like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness or... Uh, um, or, like, a Loki season two, obviously, and also, like, Spider-Man No Way Home with what seems to be in that movie and what we already know is in that movie, like, Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, has a lot more relation to this show, but I guess they're going for the unexpected with Phase 4, and that's definitely what happened in this episode, especially in terms of when they go into the backstory, but there's a really great scene when they're in the elevator, and we get Jonathan Majors, who plays, like, a very silly, like, he's maniacal, but he's also kind of... He's a little more lighter than other versions of Kang that you normally expect. And he even teases this later, which I'll talk about after this. But he goes on to explain, when once they get into his office, as he called it, um, that he, he explains... So basically, Loki asks him, well, you know, when Kang is trying to manipulate him, it's the kind of, it's the kind of classic stuff with Kang. And he's trying to manipulate them. He even brings up a deal, which I'll talk about later. But Loki actually asks him, what are you so scared of? Well, this is in their scene. And again, Kang isn't like the evil, threatening force that you expected when you found out that 
John, when you when you see Jonathan Majors, which I liked, it was a great subversion of expectations. It's done well, not like other Disney property <laughs> Disney properties we've seen, but I'm not going to get into that here. But we learned that back in back, basically we learned that in the 31st century century when you know the timelines were still muddled up, there were um, basically a version of Kang in one of these timelines figured out about. Uh, the multiverse. Now, there's different versions of himself, and a bunch of these other different versions also figure out. And he's just a nor- He was just a normal man living on Earth. I don't know how different that is from the comic origin of him. Actually, I'm not too familiar with that. I just know the character as how he's used. But and so this is very different from what I was expecting. But basically, multiple different versions of Kang in different universes figured out about the multiverse theory, and they were visiting each other, and they were really welcoming and civil to each other at first but then each of them wanted to protect their own universe by you know taking over the other and you know having more control so that started a multiversal war which once they dropped that i'm like okay so this is gonna have massive ties to dr strange in the multiverse of madness and then i was questioning is kang the conqueror the villain of dr strange multiverse of madness which we just haven't seen because if he shows up in that, that means he's going to have an appearance every single year in the MCU for the next three years. Because he's appeared in Loki, he's going to appear in Doctor Strange, and the year after, he's going to be appearing in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which I believe is confirmed to come out in like July or like February 2022, 2023, excuse me, if I'm not wrong. So that obviously sets up him as the big bad of Phase 4, which he's was, he was one of the only people you could do other than like Galactus, I guess. But I was hoping they w- might have gone for someone else, but I'll get into that in a different different um episode because i really wanted to see nightmare the villain in doctor strange in the multiverse of madness or even mephisto but it doesn't look like marvel has any of those on their plans in coming because kang looks to be a massive threat as he goes in to talk about so it started a multiversal war and basically one of the variants of kang pretty much says that pretty uh one of the variants of kang well i guess this kang explains that one of the variants of him or I guess him himself, the variant that he is right now, figured out, uh, I guess discovered this creature called Elioth, which uh, Loki and Sylvie met in episode five. And and he discovered that he could use Elioth to control everything and just, they had the power, he had the power to take over space time, the space time continuum, space and time itself, excuse me. And obviously they go into that and then, this Kang, I guess, pretty much rid, gets rid of all of the other timelines except for himself, which then he later is to obviously become the sacred timeline. That's why he created, you know, the, that's how he created, the, that's why he created the TVA from stopping a multiversal war, which would be caused by variants of himself. That is Kang I'm talking about, by the way. I know this is a Loki show and we're getting into a Kang a lot, but Loki and Sylvia are the ones listening to this. And Kang tries to give them a deal where, okay, well, actually... Let me rewind a bit. Um, Kang talks about how he is tired and doesn't really want this job anymore of just being in control of everything, including the TVA, not telling anyone everything and controlling this sacred timeline. Then he talks about how he's been searching, I guess, kind of for someone who will take his place. And he said, in this case, I found a duo or a pair who will do this. And that was Loki and Sylvie, who if they ruled together, they could control the sacred timeline like he did, and stop the Kangs from having a multiversal war, which I think would be fantastic, and I would love to see that. And I was really hoping they wouldn't just make Loki and Sylvie the kings of the time, kings and queens, king king and queen of the timeline. And luckily, that's not where they go, which we'll talk about in just a second. So 
So we see that Kang, I guess, is tired. And there's, there's a part in the episode where he goes, like, I knew everything that was going to happen until, like, seven, eight, nine, ten seconds ago because he, you know, his time is up, I guess, and he doesn't have control anymore. And now it's just completely up to Loki and Sylvie what they do. Either become kings and queens, uh, have, get their throne where they control the timeline, or kill Kang, and that will lead to absolute chaos in the multiverse, or should I say madness. I'll talk about all the connections they could have later because there is so much in this one scene, like whether it's the backstory, what Kang wants to do, what he talks about, and it's just, there's so much going on. And Kang talks about actually how he says, if you think I'm evil, bad, wait till you meet my variants. And that's such a, that was such a great scene because it truly showed me the potential of this character and how great Jonathan Majors is going to be. And it's going to, if they go the route of ha- making him have like multiple different variants in these movies and in Doctor Strange 2, it might be like the most secretive role in a Marvel project ever, having Jonathan Majors appear in that. Well, that would be awesome, but also maybe he's going to play like multiple versions of himself in that. Or with that said, he could play different versions of himself in every MCU project. Like a Loki season two, he's playing. For Loki season two, he's playing a variant of himself. And then Ant-Man, he's playing another variant. Then maybe if he appears in Doctor Strange, he's playing another different variant, which would give him a lot of versatility. I mean, a lot of options, a lot of different opportunities as an actor which would be a lot of fun to explore in one of these in what in in this universe but it's such an interesting way to go and i love that they're setting up this massive thing for phase four even though it's not what we expected at all because i really expected this phase to not have like a overarching villain it was gonna be a lot smaller it's gonna be about new beginnings and all that and basically continuing characters journeys in a very different way but it seems like they're setting up at least like another two phases worth of content because I don't think everything in phase four is going to go as deep into this multiversal stuff as other things are. And I think that that's cool, but, but I, I didn't expect them to go the multiverse thing this quickly, but as soon as they announced Doctor Strange, I had a feeling one of these shows or movies was going to set up. And this show is by far the most connected to the big, larger MCU than the other two because this has massive ramifications for other movies. So that is really fantastic. But going back to Loki and Sylvie, so Sylvie just breaks and she wants to kill kill Kang just right there, just kill him. But Loki tries to stop her. They have a bit of a conversation. He's like, let's think about this. Sylvie doesn't trust him. Kang even mentions that you do not trust people. You're a murderer, you're a hypocrite and all that. And Loki says, you know, like, I don't want the throne. And she, he says, I just want you to be okay. They have a kiss like, that was set up like, for the, from the last couple of episodes. And Sylvie says back to him that I understand, but I'm not you. And then just kicks him through a tempad portal and back into a TVA. Which TVA? I don't know. We'll talk about this a bit later. But he's in the TVA, in some sort of room in the TVA. A TVA, I should say. Cuts back to Sylvie, and she goes up to Kang and just stabs him just right there. Pretty unexpected, to be honest, for that moment to be happened that quickly. Kills Kang, and then Kang just has his, you know, final moments. And, you know, Sylvie asks, are you going to beg or anything? And he doesn't, and Sylvie just kills her. And it's, not, not her, him. And that, and that kind of last we see of her in this episode, that's where we, where we cut away from the episode and try and set up some of the ramifications that happened. So obviously now we're going to know there's going to be a multiverse, multiversal war and it's going to be Kang and it's all going to be insane. And Sylvie just, it's, it was so personal to her, like the TVA and what they did to her and how it's affected her life that she just had to kill Kang. And that was 
a really powerful moment and a really dark moment, which I which I really liked. And I think it's just setting her up to be like maybe like the big antagonist of season two or more seasons going forward. Or I guess maybe I'm not sure if she can get a redemption, but this is like such a big thing to get redeemed from. So I don't know where they're setting this up in terms of how Loki and Sylvie's relationship is going to change. Because obviously Loki is going to be a lot more hesitant towards her. Not a lot, like a crazy amount more hesitant. But is he still is he still going to be able to, you know, like let this go because she, he's still a Loki? I doubt it because this is such a game changing thing. So we cut to Loki. He's in a TVA. We also cut to Mobius and Hunter B-15, and we see that they're, they're looking at the timeline. There's just a bunch of branches going off, and then Hunter B-15 even says, well, actually, we cut to Mobius and B-15 first in a room, like, you know, in that common room they have where they have all, where, you know, what was that guy's name? Like, in the, where, where they the Infinity Stones cabinet, you know what I'm talking about now. And it shows them, and they, they see all these branches going, right? But then we cut back to Loki and where he is. And then Loki gets up, he, he goes, he walks around the TVA, he's in the TVA library, then he encounters Hunter B-15 and Mobius. Whether it's the same Hunter B-15 and Mobius, I'm not sure, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But he has a conversation with them and tells them, a very evil man is coming, we made, we made a big mistake, the timeline is broken or whatever. We, you know, the chaos about to erupt. And then Mobius looks over and he's like, are you the analyst? Did they send you? Who are you? So pretty much we learned that this TVA that Loki's in, or at least this Mobius and Hunter B-15 that we're talking to is a variant alternate universe version of Mobius and Hunter B-15. Now, I'm not sure if they're implying that the scene we saw a couple scenes ago where we had Hunter B-15 and Mobius like looking at, looking at the screen, I'm not sure if that's a different uh, different version of the two characters than the one we see in the library because that's a pretty quick change of location considering how quickly they cut through this like you know making it as intense as possible and one of my favorite things about this episode i feel like there was so much at stake the entire time and this is so great the way it ends which we'll talk about in a second but i want to discuss this first so do i think this is a, a, a different version of mobius and hunter b15 actually yeah i do think that they're now they're going into the there's gonna be two there's gonna be multiple tvas for each timeline i guess who are trying to fix things but it's just way too messed up now and that doesn't really make sense, which I understand from what the show has told us so far. But I do feel like with how quickly they're cutting through the scene and the music playing and all that, it just felt like a different, totally different moment. Like it didn't really feel like a continuation. And obviously Loki realizes which and the biggest hint we have towards this is actually the final shot of the of the actual episode, not including the end credits, which was so haunting, so fantastic. We cut through the elevator where the TVA was, which before we had the three timekeepers. Now we just have a massive statue of Kang the Conqueror, Jonathan Majors up there, which was such a haunting final shot. And it sets up so much for what we could see. So pretty much this is where I'm going to explain the ending of this and my interpretation of it. Because of this, I'm interpreting that the scene we got between Mobius and B-15, where they're looking at the timelines, that is a different version of the TVA. That is the Mobius we've come to know. And that's what it is going forward. And the Mobius and B-15, we see at the end where they interact with Loki, and we can clearly tell that Mobius has no idea who this guy is. That is a different version of Mobius we're seeing, and it might be a different TVA altogether because Kang the Conqueror is now the massive figure at the TVA. 
and the one that they had before that still has all that propaganda about the timekeepers, but are now learning that it doesn't make any sense, and it's all falling apart. Because at the end, in the one where Loki arrives at, so obviously Sylvie is back at the Citadel, and Loki is here, and Loki pretty much says, you know, like, Loki realizes that these are not the people he's come to know, and he looks over, and he knows he's in, he, they've done a massive mistake, and now, you know, a very evil man is coming, like he said, because, you know, Kang the Conqueror. And I wonder if next season's going to be, like, it's like Kang the Conqueror just jumping between TVAs, taking over each one. It's a weird direction to go, but I have a feeling that's what they might do, or different Kangs taking over different universes, and it's Loki, Loki trying to stop him from taking over each timeline, which would be so much fun to watch, I have to admit. But I guess that's kind of what they were impl- implying here by the end, is that now there's different TVAs, or different Mobiuses at least, because... It seemed like the scene before, it was still the same one we knew, but it doesn't even fully confirm that. He actually even mentioned at the end there are 63 branch timelines, which is a lot. So could we even be getting, like, more seasons beyond just the season two? Which, speaking of season two, there's no actual scene after the credits begin, but the mid-credits does have a tag with, you know, like a TVA file, and then someone stamping on it, Loki will return in season two. And that's honestly the best mid mid or post credit scene they could have given me because I really was wondering when we were going to get one of these Disney Plus shows that actually continued beyond just their original airing and that was so awesome that they confirmed this and it's by far the best thing I could have hoped for to be honest with you what I have liked like, like a mini trail mini like look at Doctor Strange 2 I was actually hoping they'd give like a trailer for that movie which I know was really far-fetched but what I would I have rather that maybe but I really like that for this show they're setting up a season two and I'm so happy that they're finally because with the first two shows we got, while there were cliffhangers, such as with WandaVision, we had, you know, like the Darkhold book and with Wanda using the astral projection of herself, like Doctor Strange is obviously setting up that she's going to be in Multiverse of Madness with Wanda, well, not with WandaVision, with Falcon and Winter Soldier, as much as I liked both of these shows, that far, I, I liked both of the other shows before this. I really liked WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, but clearly they both kind of, they both set, they both didn't, I guess Falcon Winter Soldier especially didn't set up as much interesting, massive things in the MCU where it's just Sharon Carter's returned and she has plans to go against the government. And of course, you have John Walker and Val, what's going on there. So it seems like with the MCU Phase 4, which I love that they're doing it, there's like two different sides of the universe exploring. We have the stuff on Earth, purely on Earth, where we have Val setting up this team, which is going to be the main villains for the people on Earth, I guess. Then we have the cosmic side with, I guess, the Guardians might get involved, Thor... Doctor Strange, Wanda, you know, um, whether we get Wanda's kids back and all that. And they're going to be dealing with Kang the Conqueror, who is messing up the timeline. It's going to cause absolute madness in the multiverse, which is so awesome. So I love that we're getting a season two. But with the fact that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is coming next year, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania is coming the year after, which is set to have Kang the Conqueror 2, I'm wondering what a Loki season two could... Well, I guess... We have a good idea of what it is. It's probably going to be Loki and Mobius rediscovering each other and fixing the timeline, maybe bringing Sylvie back in. But I'm wondering whether, I don't know how to phrase this, like whether Kang will be an actual part of it because he's going to be in Am and the Wasp Quantumania, that's for sure. But then Doctor Strange and maybe even the upcoming Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man No Way Home, which still waiting for a trailer for. And once they do, I'm going to be going crazy on this podcast. But I'm wondering if Kang's going to appear in Doctor Strange now, because it seems like that movie has a lot to do with the multiverse, obviously even the title and what we've heard and Sam Raimi directing and all that crazy stuff. I'm wondering what 
can will have to do with that and also all this. I'm going, I know I'm going on very long. There's just so much to talk about at the end that I might even do a separate episode talking about this. That's pretty much my explanation of what I think the ending was kind of implying. So obviously the multiverse is now in complete chaos. Sylvie's just back at the Citadel. I'm assuming she'll reunite with Loki later, but I guess she might play. I don't know if she's even going to switch sides to Kang's side because the sacred timeline has just hurt her so much throughout her entire life and it's affected her so much. So we'll see where it goes in terms of her character and how they're going to do that. But there's also something else I want to talk about. And this involves the upcoming show, What If? Now, this show comes out in four weeks. August 11th, I believe, is it. You know I'll be back with a spoiler review for that. And I'll be reviewing every Marvel show, of course. Maybe with the exception of, like, the shorts show, which is called I Am Groot. Because that's, you know, I don't think I'll have too much ramifications. I'll definitely watch it because it is produced by Marvel Studios. Just, like, I'll watch everything produced by Lucasfilm that's, you know, meant to actually be, like, a proper TV show that's going to be on Disney+. Plus. And I will review, and I know I haven't been reviewing The Bad Batch, but that's because I just don't have as much I wanted to say with that. I will be reviewing the entire season in a couple of weeks when it ends, I believe in like four and a half weeks' time. The same week What If premieres, which I don't think was a coincidence. But So we get a three-week break now from Marvel Studios' Marvel Studios content on Disney+. Plus. We'll be back, not as long as the wait between Falcon and Winter Soldier and this show, which I'll definitely take. And I'm also wondering whether we're going to get more Marvel shows this year. Like, we're, I think we're going to get Miss Marvel this year, but I think that might be it. Because what if is 10 episodes, which means it will end in October. Unless they're going to do, like, two episodes a week, which is actually what I think they should do. Being that it's a more episodic show. Maybe besides, like, the last couple weeks. Maybe you can only release an episode a week. But just get to people used to it. I don't know. It's up to them. But obviously it's up to them. But I'm, I'm wondering whether what if has anything to do with the ending of this show. Because... Because I just, I have a feeling that there's, the what if was purposely placed right after Loki. I think it might have been to tease the audience after you're done watching Loki. Because while what if seems like it's going to have all these alternate timelines, I feel like it's going to be more the watcher just looking at these um, alternate timelines. Not actually them actually playing out properly. Which is a little underwhelming to be honest. But I feel like if there's a way to kind of make these events actually happen and our heroes in this show have to overcome this and change it, things back to the way they were. Maybe that has to do with Loki and kind of how they've set up the multiverse here. I don't really know. Again, there's a lot to break down with this ending. So I know this is very, very... But that's kind of just something I thought of just like by the end of the episode. Does what if have any ties to Loki because of the multiverse going into chaos and alternate timelines branching out and all that. With that said, though, that does take us to the end of the spoiler review. This was a very, very long review. I do realize that, but there's a lot to talk about. If you've seen the episode, you know what I mean. There was a lot of exposition in this episode, which is actually my main gripe against it, but it was all so intriguing and so intense that I can't really fault it all too much. Again, this wasn't the best episode of the season. It is a really good episode, but it's not the best episode of the season. But it was a per- near-perfect conclusion. It was so satisfying to this season. And it's the first Marvel show where they actually had the guts, I feel like, to fully leave on a cliffhanger to get you back for season two. Because the other seasons, you see other shows we've had, don't fully set up uh, more seasons. Because obviously with Falcon and Winter Soldier, they're going to be continuing the Captain America 4 with Sam Wilson. But also being made by Malcolm Spellman, who ran the show. So there's a lot to discuss here. And I think... And I may talk more about this, but 
I really like this episode. I actually nearly loved it. I'm going to say that for now, though, I'm going to say it was a really great episode. Well, a lot of exposition, but it was so intriguing, so intense, so character-focused, which is what I love about this show. This is by far the best Marvel Disney Plus show we've had so far. And I will score this show just because I do this at the end of my last episode. Um, last episode reviews. But Loki, the show is fantastic. I loved how it ended in terms of what it set up for the future and also it was so satisfying. It was the first Marvel show that actually like fully set up a conflict early on and felt went through with that to the end. It was the most intriguing and just fun to watch throughout. It was the most consistent of the three shows we've had so far, at least in my opinion. It was so character-focused, and it just appealed to me more than any of the other ones we've had so far. I'm going to give Loki Season 1 an A. And with that said, on that note, obviously, if you haven't seen the show, I don't know what you're doing here, but I absolutely love this. It's my favorite of the three Marvel Disney Plus shows easily. And with that said, thank you guys so much for listening to this extra-long spoiler review of the Loki Season 1 finale, which I'm so glad I can call it that now. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll catch you all next time. Bye-bye.